I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Joshua. We've been following the Israelite story for the last few weeks, moving uh, them from a season of wandering in the wilderness into fulfilling the prophetic destiny that God had on their lives as a people. And we're in this series we're calling Crossover. Because we believe that there's some things that parallel our lives and our church that we see in the story of the Israelites. That God wants to take us from a place uh, where we have been, where we've known God and God's been faithful and God's supplied and God's provided. But they haven't really yet stepped into the fullness of their prophetic destiny, the plan and the purpose that God really intended for them. And, and as we've looked at their story, we know it's a promise that goes all the way back to Abraham to a word that God gave to a man, that he would make him the father of many nations. And so we've come to the point in the, the narrative that the Israelites have actually crossed over the Jordan River and they're moving into the territory that, that God has said would be theirs. Last week we looked at that moment at the Jordan River where they crossed over and the Bible says it was at flood stage. In other words, in the natural, this was the the most inopportune time to try to ford a river. And yet this was the time, the place, the moment, the season that God had ordained for them. And he said, it's time to, to move. And so for those of you that were here, you you know the story, but they followed the ark into the Jordan River and, and God stopped the waters and they crossed on dry ground. So today we're going to get into chapter four, but I want you to hear my my prayer and my heart for you in, in this season. It's just simply this, that you would cross over into everything that God has purposed for your life. Now, I can't draw out for you a specific blueprint. I don't know specifically what the plan and, and purpose is for God in your life. But I do know this about myself, that oftentimes I miss out on the fullness of what God has because I just settle for status quo. And so what we've said through this series is that crossing over is not about coming out of being lost and being far from God and coming into a place of salvation. Crossing over is coming out of a place of settling for what is good and moving into God's best. And that's, that's my prayer for you, that you would come to a place in your faith, in your heart, in your relationship with God, that you could really begin to enter in to what is God's best for your life. When Joshua sent the two spies over into Jericho, we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and they met uh, Rahab the harlot. I want you to just listen to the words that, that she said as we set the stage for the moment today. Here's what she said to them. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us. She said these words. Now, mind you, this is a woman who lives inside a fortified city. She says to these two spies, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Now, when I read that, I had to, I had to back up and read it again. Because here's Rahab speaking to these spies. And she says, we were afraid of you. And the reason we're afraid of you is because we heard of how God parted the Red Sea. Now, you remember that happened 40 years previously. 40 years ago, God had parted the Red Sea. They came to the edge of the Jordan and Moses sent 12 spies in. They came back afraid 
to go in. They didn't think God was going to give them the land. In fact, here's what they said. They said, we look like grasshoppers to them. And so the children of Israel assumed what the enemy was thinking about them. They imposed their own fears into the enemy's mouth. And they said, we look like grasshoppers to them. And so they turned and they left the Jordan. And they went back and spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now here we are, they've come full circle. Two spies have gone in and they're talking to a woman who lives in the city. And she says, we are afraid of you because we heard what God did 40 years ago. Now I just want you to put this in your heart and in your life for a minute. Because a lot of times what we do is we disqualify ourselves from crossing over. We disqualify ourselves from getting the thing that God wants for us because we assume or we presume our fears on our adversary. We say, like they said, we look like grasshoppers. I could never do that. Oh, I could never do that for God. I could never teach that class. Or I could never do whatever it might be that you feel like you couldn't do. And I just have to wonder how often we're saying I could never and we've forgotten that the enemy against us is a defeated foe. And while we're saying we look like grasshoppers, he's over there shaking in his boots saying, oh, I hope they don't answer the call. I hope they don't get fired up about God's plan for their life. Oh, I hope they don't get serious about raising their family in the fear of the Lord. Oh, I I hope, I hope that they don't, they don't finally come clean with God and give themselves fully because they know the potential that you and I have. Can I just tell you this morning that God has an incredible plan for your life. And I just want to, I just want to speak this over you before we even get into chapter four. Child of God, you do not have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Because I got an inside report from some spies that went over the wall. And they came back with a word that says, greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. Amen. I got a I got a report from the other side that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? So I want to tell you this one. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be limited by fear, by your own evaluation of your own abilities. You might be looking at the enemy and going, oh, I look like a I look like a grasshopper. I mean, on the scale of who's who in the kingdom of God, man, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. God says, you're a champion. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And you can crossover so god encouraged them with this word and they did just that they crossed over last week we talked about what it means to cross over a joshua generation are those that fix their eyes on jesus that are willing to obey his word that are willing to step out in faith even before they see what god was doing And you remember that the big contrast between the way God did it for Joshua's generation and in the way that he did it at the Red Sea with Moses' generation was that with Moses, he just stretched out his rod and the waters moved out of the way. But with Joshua, God said, I want the priest to step into the water first. And so they did that. A Joshua generation says, God, I'm not going to I'm not going to wait For you to make all the roads clear and all the signs obvious. I'm going to hear your word. I'm going to respond to your word. I'm going to step out in faith and trust that you're going to move the obstacles out of the way. Even as I obey. And that's what the Joshua generation did. They all crossed over. An incredible story there in Joshua chapter 3. The Bible says they crossed over on dry ground. 
And they have this incredible moment. I mean, just, just try to put yourself in the story. I mean, in Exodus 15, we hear when they've crossed the Red Sea, Miriam breaks out the tambourine and you hear about the praise and worship service that erupts. I can just imagine, though it doesn't say it in the text, I can imagine there was another praise and worship service on the other side of the Jordan. How about you? No doubt. The tambourines were rattling. People were singing. People were dancing. God had just parted the waters for their generation in their day. This wasn't anymore a history lesson. This was here and now. And they come to the other side and they can see Jericho. It's the gateway city to all that God has promised them. I mean, this is the moment. We're going to take this city and then we're going to take the next city and then we're going to take the next city. This is reality. Today's our day. And if you read this story, you would think... This is the moment that God's going to release them to go and to possess the land. In fact, the Bible says that when they crossed the Jordan, they were armed for battle. They were ready. A lot of the, the men were occupied with helping their children and, and their families and their belongings and their cattle and, and, and herds to get across. But there were three tribes that decided to keep their land on the east side of the Jordan. And since they didn't have anything to carry over because they were going to live over there, Joshua said to them, well, you're going to go out front and you're going to lead the way. And so they enlisted some fighting men to lead the way. They're ready for battle. This is the moment. But as we read the text, we see this is not the moment. There's something else that God wants them to do. And I want us to just kind of look at this story today and see the important, significant thing that God told them you need to do now that you've crossed over, now that you've experienced something you've never seen before, now that God's moving in your life and you have a personal testimony that says, man, God's really done something in my story. There's something you need to do before you just run headlong into the next battle. Look at it with me in Joshua chapter 4. And I just want us to read this morning the first seven verses. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them with you over and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Could you all just say that question with me? What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Father, I just pray that you would help me to communicate these principles from your word today. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. 
God, may we never miss or forget the thing that you are doing and want to do in our lives and in our church. May we be ever aware of your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Can I just tell you, memorials are powerful things. I mean, we even have a holiday dedicated to it in America. Memorials are significant things. I was thinking this week about some of the memorials uh, in, in my own life. There was a, a, a key that I kept uh, for a number of years uh, from a, a room, from a missions trip that I led. And I was thinking about that room key. It was to room 104 uh, at a little hotel in Jamaica. And I got to thinking about that because some of the people in this room were actually on that trip with me. And we had taken a missions trip down there and, you know, we, we had planned to have a week of, you know, spiritual experiences and, uh, and, and, and it rained. And so our ministry day got canceled and then it rained the next day and our ministry day got canceled and, and, uh, we learned a valuable lesson that when, uh, the people of God are not fishing, they're fighting. <laughs> All the teenagers on our team, you know, we're kind of like at each other's, uh, you know, a little bit, just irritating each other. And, and, and it was just not, it was not what you thought was going to happen on your mission trip experience. But we got together in room 104 and we began to pray and we began to read the Bible. And the presence of God came down in such a powerful, powerful way that uh, in these teenagers, even middle schoolers, uh, words of, of prophecy, uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues. The gifts of the Spirit started flowing. As we began to, to, God began to break our heart for the people that we had come to minister to. And I'll never forget what it was like uh, to go back the next day to the very same orphanage that we had been at two days previous to minister to those same kids. Night and day, it was a totally different experience because the first day we had come to do a program, we had come to teach songs, to do Bible lessons, to do that, but God broke our heart in room 104. And the next time we came there, it was just to express the tangible love of Jesus. And what I saw on those students' faces and the transformation that took place marked my life so much, God forgive me, I stole the room key. I got to keep something to remember this moment. And so I brought that room key back with me as a memorial. I have a letter here that is a type of a memorial. This was given to me by the oldest living member of this church, Pauline Fritz. Uh, this was from several years ago, and so it's a little bit out of context. But I want to just read it to you because uh, this was passed on to me. And she writes, the work in Wrightsville began as a result of Sister Margie Roth and Sister Ruth Abel attending services in Colorado, getting a fire for the Lord and zealous to have God move in their hometown. They came back and they contacted Sister uh, Nace, who opened her home for prayer services. In a very short time, the congregation began to worship in the Stone Church. Some of you have seen the Stone Church down there on 2nd Street. If you've never seen it, you should drive by and see it. And you'll be really thankful for the church that we're worshiping in today. No, no heat down there. They said they began to worship in the Stone Church. Reverend Frederick Ide and Reverend Warren Anthony working as co-pastors for a short time. Then Reverend Warren Anthony was pastor alone for a number of years. 
Since then, Reverend Frederick uh, Ide and Reverend Frederick Reidenbach, then Reverend Maurice Davidson, Reverend George Hatchmore, Reverend, Reverend Asa Martin. You can call me pastor, by the way. I don't, you don't want to call me Reverend. Reverend Milton Wells had served the congregation as pastors. God has blessed we people of the Assembly of God Church in giving us ministers consecrated to the will of God. For God is the way, the truth, and the light. These past ministers have worked hard, carried many burdens, prayed many hours, rejoiced and sorrowed while in service in Wrightsville. They've gone on to other places to serve other congregations, and God has blessed us with another consecrated pastor, Reverend Dean Ash. And if we submit our own lives unto the will of God and under the leadership of Brother Ash, we will see great and mighty things accomplished in Wrightsville. Now, about a year and a half ago, I had the privilege of helping to officiate Pastor Ash's funeral right here in this service. A lot of years have transpired since that was written, but that serves as a reminder to me that we're a part of something bigger that God is doing. That there was a day and an age and an hour when, when there were just women gathering together in somebody's home. Think of that. I mean, here we think life groups or small groups or cell groups or home groups are like a new idea. That's how this church started. Nothing new. We're, we're talking about doing life groups this spring. It was, it was in the foundation of this church from day one. These ladies came back from that trip to Colorado. They had experienced Pentecost. And eventually, they would start a church here and just call it the Pentecostal church. Before it was called Wrightsville Assembly of God. It was the Pentecostal church. It, it was something that God was doing. And as I read that story again this week, thinking about the, the men of God and the women of God that prayed and believed and served this church, it was a memorial to me and a letter that I'll cherish that says, God has been doing some incredible things. And He wants to continue to do some incredible things. But it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get narrow in our focus. So that's why these memorials are so important. We have kind of a new memorial in our house. A few weeks ago, I came across a picture. It was in the church archives. It was a picture that was taken of the parsonage where we live. Back when it was first built several years ago. I can't remember the year it was built in. Maybe some of you could remember. But uh, several years ago. And, and we have this black and white picture. And so I asked my wife, I said, would you go get a frame for that picture? And so we, we framed that picture. Now, the house looks the same. It's not like, you know, we've added on a lot of additions or anything. It just looks like the house we live in. But it's, it's a reminder to me that there was a day and in a time, that was a huge step of faith for this church, that they were going to build a house for their pastor to live in. And it was a step of faith to pay the mortgage on that thing. Praise God today, that's not a burden we carry. It's paid for. And now I'm getting to receive the benefit of living in that house because somebody had faith to believe God, to put their name on the line and trust that God's people would be faithful to make it happen. That's so, that picture just sits there as a reminder to me. And it sits right next to this bowl at my house. I brought this from my house. Now some of you have seen this before because I talked about this a couple of years ago. This is a memorial in my house. Now, I know to you it just looks like a bowl of rocks. But let me tell you why this is significant and, and why this sits in our living room. Because about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, my wife and I were praying about God's will for our lives. 
And in April of 2013, on the 30th, I was praying and writing in my journal and just talking to the Lord. And I began to tell the Lord, God, I feel like I'm at flood stage. I know the water is high. I can sense things are changing and my feet are wet. And God, I'm going to trust you. But if you don't show me what you're doing soon, I'm going to start paddling. That's what I wrote in my journal. And then God spoke to me in that moment. And I just began to write down what he told me. And I wrote down on April 30th, 2013. God, I can't wait. Until you reveal what it is you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. I can't wait until I can take my family and cross over into the plan that you have for us. And I felt like God gave me some specific instructions. And so I wrote it down. I said, God, on the journey, we're going to stop with our family. And we're going to collect stones. We're going to get five of them to represent each person in our family. And we're going to tell our girls to bring those stones with us on our trip. Because we're going to get to the place that you're leading us. And when we do, we're going to build a memorial that says God has been faithful to lead us all the way. And so in this bowl are six stones. They made me get one for the dog. So Reese made the journey too. But we have our, our six stones that are, that are piled in, and they sit there in our living room. And, and every once in a while, we just tell the story again. Every once in a while, we talk about how God told us to step out in faith and, and, and sell our house and, and to resign from our position of ministry, not knowing where we were going to go. We tell them about how crazy it was to, to load up everything into a moving truck and turn over our church key and turn over the house key to the realtor and to leave Dallas, Texas with just a minivan key and two weeks of luggage packed. We tell that story to our girls about driving towards Pennsylvania. We were going to come and stay with my mother-in-law here on the front row for a couple of weeks vacation that we had planned a year earlier. And to be honest, we didn't know what we were going to do at the end of that two-week vacation. But we got as far as Tennessee and we got a phone call from one of the board members of this church that said, you know, we got word that... uh, that you were pursuing a, a ministry position and we've been listening to your sermons and we heard that you might be coming this way and we'd love to meet with you. And so here I am driving by faith on a Tuesday outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm driving to Marietta. So if you're from this area, you know, I'm, I'm driving about 15 minutes from where this phone call is coming from saying, could you meet with us? I said, how about Wednesday. Yeah, let's do it. Let's meet right away. And we sat down and we talked and and the board said, man, we feel like this is God. And I said, I feel like this is God. And they said, well, we know you've got loose ends to tie up in Texas. So if the church, you know, wants to elect you as the pastor, how soon could you come? I said, I'm here. They said, well, I know, but, you know, you got to, you know, get things in order. And, And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm here. This this car key is it. My stuff's packed. It's loaded. I'm here. I can start when you say go. And it's just so incredible even to say it out loud still to this day. To think of how God orchestrated our steps. We're literally, we were at a place where the water was rising around our ankles. And we're saying, okay, God, you said step and we step. Now you got to move. And God moved. And so just 
a few days later, they gave us the key to the parsonage. We got those rocks out of the car. We brought them into the living room and we set our family around in a circle. And we began to tell the story again. We began to talk about how God led us all the way on this incredible journey. And that God knew exactly what he was doing. Even when we didn't know that, that we can trust God. And that memorial stands there for our girls to see. Because I never want them to forget that God is faithful. That's what jo- Joshua chapter 4 is all about. That's what it's all about. And Joshua said, the day is coming. The day is coming when your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And that's why it's so important. That before you run off and conquer Jericho, before you start dividing up the land, you need to make a memorial to the Lord. You need to stop and and recognize what God has done. So I just want to tell you here a couple of reasons, three reasons, what these stones are for and why we need to make memorials. The first one is this. They serve as a testimony to your descendants. Look with me at verse 24. It's a repeat of what we've already read, but there's a little bit more detail. He says in verse verse 21 of Joshua 4. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. These, imagine uh, kids playing on the bank there of the Jordan. You see this rock formation. It's not natural that these rocks would be piled up this way. It's, it's, it's unique. It's different. They begin to ask, what, what's that all about? And then somebody tells them, those 12 stones, they actually used to be in the middle of the river, the very bottom. They were at the lowest point in the river. And they begin to tell the story of of how they crossed over. And they begin to talk about how God supplied and how God provided for them. And that's what a memorial does. A memorial says unmistakably that God did this. That God did something for us that we couldn't have done on our own. Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two spies left from that, that generation that crossed over the Red Sea. And so they knew how important it was to not let people forget. Because everybody in their generation had died. So the Red Sea crossing, it was just, it was just a story that people had heard about. And so they knew how important it was that they didn't forget. And so they wanted this story to be carried on. In the first week of this series, I I read a scripture to you and I just want to mention it. It's in Joshua chapter one. The word says this, Joshua one verse two. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. And when we read that scripture in the first week, I I said I felt like it was interesting that God emphasized the Israelites. That he said, I'm going to give it to them, the Israelites. And I think the reason that God emphasized twice who he was giving it to, was to remind Joshua that this is something God's doing that's bigger than what he did with Moses. And it's bigger than what he's going to do with Joshua. That this is a plan that God has that is generational. 
This is a plan that is far bigger than what Joshua can see. And so the Lord emphasized to him, I'm giving this land to my people. And in the same sense, God wants us to believe in a promise that's bigger than our individual lives. I mean, it's great to believe God for personal things in your life, but God wants you to have a vision that's bigger than your lifetime. That's why memorials are important. Memorial stones are something that can be passed on, that we can let what God did for us build the faith of the next generation. You know, I've heard it said before, and I believe it's true, that Christianity is only and always only one generation away from extinction. Just one generation away of of not sharing our faith, of not sharing our story. The Bible says this, and many of you could quote it out of Proverbs 22 and 6. It says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. There's a parallel verse to that in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That's our responsibility. Moms and dads, if I can just encourage you for a minute. That everything the church does here is is supplemental. That that your your kids are not going to get the faith that's going to carry them into into their day, and into their hour, just by coming to church on the weekend. It's it's not going to happen that way. It has to happen in the home. You have to train them up. You have to teach them. Daily, that, if you can imagine a, a, a horse that, that's bridled and being trained and, and taught, there's, there's consistency to it, there's repetition to it. And that's what they're talking about in these verses. Yeah, I read a story this week of a British poet named Samuel Taylor Coolridge. He had a discussion one time with a man who firmly believed that you should not impose your faith on your kids. He believed that you shouldn't uh, invoke religious instruction on your kids. They should be free to express their own faith, to come up with their own religious ideas uh, when they reach maturity. So Coolridge in this moment, he didn't argue with the guy. He didn't disagree with him. But sometime later, he invited the man to come over to his house and to see his somewhat neglected garden. So the man came and he saw it and he said, you call this a garden? I mean, you got weeds growing up over here. You got stuff rotting on the vine over there. And so Coleridge just calmly replied. He said, well, I I didn't want to infringe on the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden the opportunity to express itself. And you can see in that simple illustration that he gave. How foolish it is for us to buy into the mindset of this world that would say that somehow we're limiting our children or sometime we're, we're, somehow we're, we're keeping them back from a, a fuller understanding or education or knowledge by trying to, to train them in the way that they should go, by trying to impose our faith on them. How foolish is that? God has given us a responsibility. He's given us a mandate to train up our children, to teach them the way in which they should go. That's exactly what Deuteronomy says. Probably the the most quoted portion of Scripture in all the Bible is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Verse 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That's where it begins. They should be on your heart. But the very next thing he says in verse 7, he says, now impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Say, how do you do that? He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Now, I don't know how often you walk with your children, but I would imagine you probably do spend a lot of time driving in the car with them. So what is being impressed on their minds when you're driving down the road? See, when you understand that you have a mandate from God to train up your children, it matters what station you're on. I thought I'd get one amen on that, but that's okay. Just maybe you were curling your toes back. That might have been a little too close to home for you. Listen, it matters. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about being, uh, you know, so, so rigid, but let me just remind you that holiness is actually a Bible word. It's a Bible word. We're so quick to, to, Cast people as narrow-minded anytime they have a standard above ours. And in reality, the truth is a lot of times it's because we feel uneasy when people have higher standards than us. And I'll just tell you, myself included. There's, there's a little bit of a, an uneasiness, a guilty conscience when you get around somebody, you know, like, like there's people that I know that say, you know, we don't even have a TV in our house. I kind of go, oh. I got a TV in case you were wondering. But when you get around people that have a higher standard than you, you know, you can kind of feel a little guilty. And so the defense comes up and you want to kind of give them a, a, a stiff arm and say, well, we live by grace, not by law. But holiness is a Bible word. And so this is how this fleshes out in our lives. We're trying to train up our children. The Bible says you should talk about it when you walk down the road. So when we're driving down the road and we're listening to God knows what on the radio, we're training our children. We're impressing something on them. Whether it's godly or not, we're making an impression. And this is what he says next. He says, when you lie down and when you get up. Th- those, those early morning times around the breakfast table and those, those bedtime prayer moments are so critical. These are moments that God has given us to impress things on their kids. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, offend anybody here today, but I'm just going to tell you, I think it's a mistake that parents just let their kids go to bed to the TV, just zone out to television until they fall asleep. You're missing a moment that God has ordained for you as a parent to train your children up in the way that they should go. A moment where you turn it off, shut off everything else and, and, and let that quiet moment at their bedside become your sanctuary. You teach them how to pray, how to talk to God, how to talk to you about their day. He, that's what we're supposed to do. He says this in the next verse, verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, we don't wear the little phylacteries that, that we see uh, Jewish people wear with the little prayers inside the box that they tie around their head. That was something they literally did. But the point of them doing it was to say that the word of God was in, on their mind. It was on the front of their mind. Is the Bible ever a part of conversation in your home? It, it, you know, your, your teachers, they, they give you take-home material every Sunday for a reason. Because we want the scripture to be on the front of your minds with your kids. It's a resource. It's not enough, but it's a start. It's something that God's called us to do. To let it be on the door frames of our house. 
Now, that can be something so practical as the posters that your kids hang in their rooms. The stuff that they look at every day. It astounds me how sexually driven our culture is that I have a second and a third grader and they're already feeling the pressure to have a boyfriend. Second and third grade. I don't think I could spell girlfriend in second grade. (laughs) The I before E thing kind of threw me. But that's the conversation. Oh, I love him. Oh, I love her. And it's no surprise you go into that child's room and they've got, you know, a big poster of, you know, some pop star scantily dressed. You go, if that's what you've put on the doorpost of your house, that's what you're impressing them with. If that's what's on your 42-inch plasma screen, that's what you're impressing them with. So God, God's giving us a, a responsibility to say, train your children, train your children. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. And I hope you hear my heart today. I don't get it all right. But I understand that it's up to me. Nobody else is going to get it right for me. No one else is going to get it right for you and your home. And so God has called us to train them up in the way that they should go. Let me just read the next couple verses to you. This is still out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 10 says this. It says, when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. This is way before they crossed over the Jordan. This is the previous generation. This is Moses prophetically warning the people of what's going to happen. He says, it's a land that's large and flourishing with cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They weren't even there yet, but Moses could see it. He could see the writing on the wall. He said, here's what's going to happen. I mean, you're trusting God and God's parting waters for you. He's delivering you out of bondage in Egypt. But you're going to get to a place where all the work's done. And it's going to be, it's going to be easy street. And you're going to sit back. And the danger is this. You're going to forget. You're going to forget what God did. And he warns them, don't forget. And I, I want to warn all of us today that it's so important that we keep bringing our families back around a memorial stone. That we look at the things in our life that God has done. The things that God is doing. And we point those things out. And we, we bring them into the story and say, God is doing incredible things. God has been faithful in our lives. Now, I'm not suggesting you go and pick up a pile of rocks like I did. But in some way, we have to take the responsibility for the next generation. That Pentecost doesn't die with us. That it's not just something, boy, back in the day, boy, we had these revivals and people would set up tents outside and people would come every night and those are great stories it's got to be more than stories there's the second reason i want to tell you quickly that we need these stones because verse 24 says they are a witness to the watching world look at verse 24 with me in joshua 4 he tells the people the lord did this 
He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He did it so that the people of the earth might know that the Lord is powerful. Can I just tell you that you have a testimony that the world needs to hear? You have a testimony that the world needs to hear. I know it's exciting to hear somebody else's testimony that's come out of, you know, some incredible situation. And, and that's awesome. And whether you have a what you would call a great testimony or a, just an average testimony, it's a testimony that the world needs to hear. I got to tell you, I'm proud of my testimony. You know what my testimony is? I was raised in the church. I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival. I was in the church my whole life. I never backslid. Was never perfect, but I never ran from God. Never did drugs. Never smoked cigarettes. Never drank alcohol. Now, if that's not an exciting testimony for you, fine, you can keep yours. But my testimony is the grace of God has kept me safe thus far. And you've got a testimony that God either delivered you out of something or delivered you from something, but God has worked in your life and you have a testimony that the world needs to hear. And that's the reason that you need to to recall those things that God is doing and share those things in the way that they set up this memorial stone on the shores as to say that, that we want the world to know this was the spot, this was the place where God comes through for His people. You've got a testimony that the world needs to hear. In fact, the Bible says you, you are living stones. You're living stones, you and I. I. One of my favorite verses about worship, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you are living stones and you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, what is he saying there? He's saying you're a stone you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone. We're all living stones. And the Lord has brought us together to build an altar. For what? For worship. We're the stones. When people look at our life, they see an altar for worship. Now, I, I got to thinking about that this week. And this is what's so cool about us being the living stones. Not only are we called living stones, but we were drawn up out of the water. Just as these stones were taken out of the depths of the Jordan. Here's what the... The Bible says about us in our salvation. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 6 that just as Jesus died, it says we were buried with him in his death. That's what the waters of baptism are all about. When we baptize people and we dunk them under the water, we're symbolizing that they were buried. Their old man, their sinful man was buried with Jesus. But he didn't leave them down there at the bottom of the river in death he carried them out and now we are the living stones that have come together to be worship for the lord and there's a world that's watching our worship people drive by this church they see the parking lot full and they wonder what are those stones for all those all those people coming together what's what's that really all about what is it really all about that these people are gathering together for? You know, even this building, in a sense, is a, is a memorial stone. When people drive by and they, they see this building, it's, it has a purpose. It's dedicated to the Lord. 
I mean, praise God for the churches that are meeting in, in schools and in YMCA's and, and they're at a planning stage and, and I'm glad for those, but they're trying to get to where we're at. I can promise you, they don't want to set up and tear down every week. They want a memorial stone. They want a place that they can say, that's God's house. And everybody around here knows where God's house is. And it's a memorial. It stands to honor God. The stones that Joshua built came up out of that river. And they stood to announce that God is here. That's what we want this church to be. We want to position this church to say that when people are at the most impossible circumstances, at the most impassable obstacle, that God shows up in that moment. And that God can pull them out of the depths of that and He can establish them. That's, that's what we want this church to be. A testimony, a living stone. May we for ne- never forget the reason that God has given us 365 Orange Street. This church, this building, is a monument. It's a memorial to God. This is His house and it's for His glory. And here's the purpose of it, again, in verse 24. So that, it says, so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Let no one be confused. We don't have any mission here except the Great Commission. That's the purpose that God has given us as a church, to to build for God's glory and God's purpose. We exist as a church to make God known. That's why we're here. This building is not for our glory. I was talking to a friend this week who's a new pastor at a church, and he said, man, there's just so much stuff that we're having to go through and clean out in this church. I'm finding stuff from 30 and 40 years ago. I just laughed. I said, yeah, been there. You know, we have to remind ourselves that God called the church to be a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the saints. It's easy for us to just kind of get nearsighted and inward focused and and we begin to do everything to our own taste and to our own liking. When God's called us to be evangelistic, God's called us to build a memorial stone where people can know who he is and what he does. That's why I've said from day one at this church that we will never apologize for being evangelistic. Because it's who God's called us to be. It's who God's called us to be. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 that we are to, to persevere. Jesus said, persevere until I come. We're supposed to keep striving, keep pushing, keep moving forward, persevere until I come. It's funny, you know, some churches you look at, you think they got it wrong. Like it said, preserve until I come. Because they just, they just stay, you know, they stay the same. Forever. God has called us to reach outward. To reach the lost. That requires change sometimes. But it's something that we're going to do. Because God's called us to bring a timeless message in timely methods. You know in this church we've been talking here recently about some renovations. That we need to do in our sanctuary. And that's just the reason. Because we want to offer a timely message. A a timeless message with timely methods. I believe the Bible is the most relevant message for our day and age. It's the most relevant in any day and age. And so we want to communicate it in a relevant way. So it's important that we look at everything that we do. We say nothing is sacred except the gospel. God, how do you want us to bring glory to your name and advance your kingdom in this local church? That's what this stone is for. That's what it's for. 
Let me give you the final thing quickly. The reason that we need to set up memorial stones is because they're reminders to us. Lest we forget. You know, we could talk about future generations and we could talk about lost people. But let's be honest. A lot of times we just forget. We get caught up in the here and now and we, we forget how faithful God has been. We forget how good God has been. It happened with the Israelites. They would face an opposition and immediately their, their faith would disappear and they'd begin to, you know, cry the woe is me and God you've forsaken us. And, and they just forgot that God had been faithful. But look at the latter part of verse 24 again. It says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said this. He would often pray these words. Keep me from ever losing the wonder. I think that's a great prayer to pray. Keep me from ever losing the wonder. We began this service today singing, this is amazing grace. Is it still amazing? Is it still amazing to you? Do you ever just get caught up in the fact that God would save a wretch like you? I mean, do you, do you ever just get astounded by all the things that God has done for you? Our tendency is to forget. I, I don't have time to go through all the places in Scripture, but over and over again, the Word encourages us not to forget, not to forget what God has done. In the Psalms, he says, they did not remember his power. They did not remember the day that he redeemed them from their oppressor. They forgot the God who saved them, the one who had done great things in Egypt. Over and over again, they had forgotten. I want to just encourage you this morning, don't forget. First of all, don't, don't forget what God has done in your past. I don't know what your past looks like, but look where you're at. It's Sunday morning. You're in God's house. God's been faithful. He's kept you. He's preserved your life. He's been faithful to you. Don't, don't forget that. We can get so distracted by what's ahead of us that sometimes we just need to check the rearview mirror and, and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. Moses was concerned about it even before they got to the Jordan. He said, do not forget. Do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Can I encourage you today? Don't forget the covenant that God has made with you. He's a covenant-keeping God. I'm so glad He's a covenant God and not a contractual God. Because I don't always hold up my end of the bargain. How about you? And if He was a contractual God, then the contract would be broken and nullified because I blew it. I didn't keep my end of the deal. But that's not the God that we serve. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a God that is for you and that will never leave you or forsake you. We need to remember that about our God, that he's a covenant God. We need to remember God's ways, not just what he did, not just that he's faithful, but we need to remember the ways of the Lord. I just, I just want to tell you, it is easy for all of it. It's easy for us to forget God's ways. That's why Proverbs tells us to not lean on our own understanding but to continually acknowledge God in all of our ways. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses was talking to the people about that day when they would go into the land. You're going to cross over. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. God's going to, God's going to take you into a, a place of promise. But when you get there, here's the warning. 
He said, when you get there, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. <clears throat> he goes on to say some things that probably sounded ridiculous to the people of Israel. He says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their sons or daughters in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery or interprets omens or engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. And I just wonder when, when Moses was saying, hey, when you get there, don't do these things. If they were thinking, what, what are you crazy, Moses? Why would we sacrifice our sons and daughters in the fire? That, that's ridiculous. We, we wouldn't do that. But Moses knew the tendency that's in every one of us. It was in Lot when he chose to set up his tent towards Sodom instead of the plan and purpose of God. And it's in you and me too. We live in a day and an age where there's constant compromise set before us. Constant opportunities to forget the ways of God and to go the ways of this world. And so he says, listen, this might sound ridiculous to you now, but don't do those things. That's why in the New Testament, Paul tells us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Christ Jesus. Be transformed. Change the way you think. Don't fall into the pattern because the natural tendency in all of us is to just coast, to just coast, to just drift and let the current and the cultural tide pull us in whatever way it wants to pull us. That's why we have memorials that don't move, that stay put, that we can always look back to and say, you know what? This, this is what God said. This is what God did. This is the covenant that God keeps. And these are God's ways. This is what he wants to do in our life. This is what he did in our past. And this is what God wants to do for our children. We're going to establish this moment, this marker in our life. And say, God, let your will be done in our families and in our homes. I want to tell you, God... God has absolute authority over the enemy. And Satan knows that. He can't compete with the power of God in your life. But what he does want to do is compete with your perspective. He wants to change the way you see it. That's why it's so important that we establish a memorial stone. As we close this service, I just want to, I want to remind you of a story that, that is in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel was the prophet who was leading the nation and at the time, they, they had forgotten. All the things that Moses said they were going to do, they did. They were far from God. They were living in idolatry. And so he calls the nation back to righteousness. He calls them all to an altar and says, we're going to get this right. You're, you're going to make up your mind as a nation to trust God. And this is going to be a moment of coming back to the Lord. And so they all gather together. But while they're gathered there on this mountain, the Philistine army takes advantage of the opportunity to attack them. So the army is coming to destroy the people of God on the mountain. And so Samuel does something incredible in 1 Samuel 7. He takes a lamb and he hurries up and he brings it over to the altar and he sacrifices a lamb on the altar, symbolizing the covenant that they had with God, reminding everybody of this is who God is. This is what God does. Are we going to depend on him? Are we going to look to the lamb? Or are we going to fear what the enemy wants to do? 
And in that moment, all the people gathered around the altar and, and they began to worship as Samuel sacrificed the lamb and God began to move again. The Bible says that God stirred up such an incredible thunderstorm. It was so loud. The lightning was so ferocious that it, it just threw the Philistine army into absolute chaos. They were absolutely confused and they didn't know which way was right. And the Israelites were able to rout the enemy on that day. They defeated the enemy. Really, God defeated the enemy for them. And in that moment, on that hill, the Bible says Samuel rolled a stone before the people. And he called it Ebenezer. Which means, thus far, the Lord has helped us. And I just want to encourage you to, to have that moment in your heart today. That you can look back and you can realize that God has been faithful. And he rolled that stone before the people and said, this is, this is Ebenezer. And it's a reminder that God has been faithful to you. So you should be faithful to him. You can trust him. He's faithful. But it doesn't just look back. Ebenezer says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. So it also looks forward and it says, because God has been faithful to this moment, because God has kept us this far we believe that God is going to continue to lead us forward. So I want to, I want to pray for you today, and I want to challenge you, especially if, if you have kids living in your home, to begin to hear the heart of God calling us to set up these memorial stones in our families.